Cole, thank you. And just as a um, fellow worshiper that was with you just a moment ago, I just want to tell the worship team, wow. Um, It is one thing to have gifts and abilities, but it is quite another to have a heart that worships and that can draw you in, even with songs that were new to you, new to me. Um, it only took just a millisecond for me to join in worship. So thank you, worship team, for just preparing our hearts so, so well. Well, we're in this sermon series called The Psalms of Summer. And um, today we're going to look at Psalm 102. So if you have your Bibles, turn to that. We're going to look at a characteristic of God that I think is vitally important for us to understand, and that is our God is an unchanging God. It's an attribute of God that theologians term the immutability of God. It's a characteristic of God that we celebrate, we sing about. In the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, we sing, Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Let's look at this God that is unchanging. We're in Psalm 102. I'll be reading the first four verses, and then we'll skip to verse 18 and go through verse 28. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Don't hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days, they pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Verse 18. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord. And in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord, he has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. O my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations, of old you have laid the foundations of earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe. They will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. There are a couple things that we're going to look at, two important truths in this psalm that I want you to see. And the first truth is this, that everything in this world is slipping away. Everything in this world is slipping away. In the first 11 verses of today's scripture, the psalmist is suffering 
It's painful to read. He's pouring out his heart. In verse 2, he says he's in distress. In verse 4, says he's hurting so badly he's forgotten to eat. In that same verse, he says, my heart is struck down. Now, to the Hebrews, the heart is the seat of the soul. So what the writer is saying is, he says, I'm hopeless. I am overwhelmed with hopelessness. In verse 7, he says he can't sleep. He's suffering from grief, loss of appetite, hopelessness, sleeplessness, depression, isolation. Now, what is the cause of all this suffering of the writer? In verse 3 and 4, he gives us a clue. He says, for my days pass away like smoke, my bones burn like a furnace, my heart is struck down like grass and is withered. He is suffering physically. He is ill. He is sick. His bones burn like a furnace. In verse 23 and 24, he says, he has broken my strength in mid-course. This guy is not that old. He is in the middle of his life. In mid-course, God, he says, has shortened my days. Oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. He's sick. He's suffering. He's not that old. He's so ill that he believes he's dying. And no matter how tightly he says that he wants to hold on to the things of this world, everything in his life is slipping through his hands. We're just starting summer. The Psalms of summer. Now, remember with me when, when we were young, and for, for me and maybe many of you, that's a, that's a lot of decades ago. And, and remember like when you were in kindergarten, first, second, third grade, and summer came, and it seemed like a year, three months. I meant it went by so slow. And now, if you're middle-aged, it goes by like a blink of an eye. And don't ask me when you hit 60, it, it's like a flicker. It goes by like in a couple of weeks, and all of a sudden, fall is coming around. As you get older, there's this sense that things are slipping away, slipping away. And when it comes to the psalmist, his sickness, I want you to hear this truth, his sickness didn't create this illusion of life. His sickness didn't create his sense that everything is slipping away. His sickness only revealed the reality that all of us have to face. I grew up in a steel town in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and a few years ago, I got a chance to view my home church, and there'll be a picture of it on the screen. That's it. Glorious place, isn't it? Now, it's, it's been abandoned, and the church has since moved what we call in Pennsylvania up on the hill, but you would call it a mountain, but there are very few people that can tell you stories of what happened in that place. And fewer and fewer as the years pass. In that building is where I first heard the gospel. In that building, I was carried in my mother's womb. In that building, we had preachers that would drone on and on and on and on. It wasn't glamorous. It had a railroad yard behind it. 
It had a steel mill parking lot on the other side, and about a quarter mile down the road across a grungy bridge were blast furnaces that lit up the night sky and covered everything in a pink iron ore dust. During that trip, I also visited a wonderful cemetery. I mean, it's kind of weird to say a cemetery is wonderful, but it is beautiful. It sits up on the hill, and it's called Grandview Cemetery, and it's where both my parents are buried. It is the final resting place for the victims of the Johnstown flood. Now, most of you probably never heard of that. It happened in like 1889. Andrew Carnegie and a bunch of the um, Industrial Revolution steel and coal barons and all those rich folk had a reservoir up in the hills above Johnstown, and they stocked it with exotic fish. They had what they call cabins, but you and I would call them mansions, lining this lake. They would have sailing clubs and yacht clubs, and they dammed the, or they blocked the spillway <coughs> so that their precious fish could not be lost. Well, there came a historic rain. The spillway wasn't designed for that. And if you can just imagine the physics of a massive lake high up in the mountains where all that water that is released flows into the narrow chasm of these valleys, making its way to Johnstown on a quiet Sunday morning, on Memorial Day, actually. Civil War soldiers were marching. Can you imagine? Veterans were marching through the streets that day. Later that day, that dam broke. And 2,200 people died. That's the burial site of the unknowns. The unknowns that were there. But it's a beautiful, solemn place. And that's where my parents are. And there are incredible markers there of people that were wealthy and prominent at one time, and that's their resting place. And it's almost like they're saying, I was important. Here's my name. Don't forget about me. I was a person of means. I was a person of influence. Look at the obelisk. Look at the sculptures. Look at the incredible crypt that I built for myself. But no matter how beautiful the size of the headstone or how large the monument, eventually they're all forgotten. In the very next psalm, David is the writer, Psalm 103, and he says this, starting in verse 15, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field and the wind passes over it and is gone. And notice what he says, its place knows it no more. If you're really famous, people might remember you 100 years from now. If you're really, really historically important, maybe 1,000 years, but eventually, nearly every person is forgotten. Hebrews 11.10 says that Abraham looked forward to a city that had its foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The Bible says there are no foundations that are not designed by God 
that you can stand on. Nothing is firm in this world. Nothing is solid in this world upon which to build your life. There is nothing that you can put your feet on that will ultimately stand. Even the mountains, even the stars, the Bible says, will pass away. There are no relational connections that will last. We're going through graduation season, and there are a bunch of graduates promising each other they will stay in touch, they will always be friends, they will always be in their life. And some of you are old enough, you're smiling, you know how that goes. Even if you hold on to some of those friendships, relationships all end. Life has a way of giving you these moments where you have to say goodbye to those you love. When my dad passed, my mom was only 41 years old. At that time, I had not a clue of what she must have been going through. And now that I'm in my 60s, I look at my wife Carla and think about how would I ever cope if I lost her? Because one day it's going to happen. Either I'm going to lose her or she's going to lose me. We sometimes joke about how we'll go out like Thelma and Louise, only Jeff and Carla. You know, like we'll, we'll go together. But that doesn't happen unless it's some horrible accident. But we're going to have to say goodbye one of these days. Everything in life passes away. Nothing lasts. That's the first truth. Now that I've all I've depressed every single person here today, the first truth we find is in Psalm 102. And when Pastor Aaron looks at this, he says, for goodness sakes, this is supposed to be the Psalms of summer. This is supposed to be sunny and bright. Jeff, come on. Hang on. There's something else we can hold on to, the second truth found in Psalm 102. And it's an incredible hope that only God remains the same. Remember, God is immutable. God never changes. The writer of Psalm 102 is in agony. He's suffering. He's depressed. He thinks he's dying, and he might have been. And yet at the end of the psalm, he starts with hopelessness. He ends with hope. He finds assurance. How does he do it? What happened? Did he go to the bookstore and get himself some help, self-help books? Did he watch some TED Talks? Did he change his diet? Did he exercise? Did he go out and pamper himself? He didn't do any of that. All he did was remind himself of who God is, that our God changes not. His compassions, they fail not. Verse 27, he says, God, you're the same your years have no end. God does not change. His character does not change. He doesn't change what's true and what's false. He doesn't change what's right and what's wrong. He doesn't make mistakes. He's never surprised. He's never caught off guard. Verse 25, of old, in other words, in the beginning, you lay the foundations of the earth and the heavens or the work of your hands. It's his way of reminding himself that his God 
has always existed. He has no beginning and no end. He exists outside of time and space. Now use your imaginations and imagine a river, and we have those in western Pennsylvania, and even in Indiana, you cannot see the beginning of that river and the end of that river because it winds, and you, you can only see so far. Now on that river, there are boats making their way down the stream. Some boats you can see, they are right in front of you. Other boats have passed, and they are long gone downstream. Some boats are still upstream and have yet to come in front of your eyes. Now, imagine that river as time. The boats that have already gone and are out of sight, those are in the past. The boats that are in front of you represent the present. And the boats that are still upstream making their way down are the future. Now, as you and I stand on the banks of that river, we are limited to see only the boats that are in front of us, but God sees the whole thing, and he sees it at once. God doesn't change, but why do we change? Why do we change? Well, we change our minds when we get new information. Sometimes we learn that we were wrong, then we change. And if you're like me, sometimes we change when we suffer enough that the pain is so great that we say, all right, I'm going to start working on my character. I'm going to start doing some things differently so I don't reap exactly what I've sown here. But there's nothing new to God. He sees everything at once. There's nothing for him to learn. He sees the past, the present, and the future. He is never caught off guard. Now that sounds really philosophical, that whole river thing, and well, what does that have to do with us? Why does it matter that God doesn't change, that he's everlasting, that he has no beginning and no end? Here's why. As a pastor, I've had people come to me and say, Jeff, I've been a Christian a long, long time, but I did something. I messed up. I can't look at myself the same way. My family will never see me in the same light again. I don't think I could ever forgive myself. How can God ever love me again? How could God ever look at me the same again? But here's the thing. When you gave your heart to God, when you knelt at that altar and surrendered your life, God knew everything about you. He knew where you are now. He knew everything you've done. And here's the thing. He knew everything you're going to do. What you did, it might not have been right, but it did not catch God off guard. He loved you then. He loves you now. He will continue to love you. Now, does that mean you don't reap what you sow? No. Does that mean your marriage is going to hold and stay together? I hope so. But it's no guarantee. But we're talking about God and the love of God. When God loved you, 
He saw it all. He saw everything. And he knows you better than you know yourself. And here's another practical reason why the immutability of God matters. A lot of Christians are concerned with, well, because of what I've done and or what I didn't do, that somehow my life will be less than, that it will be on plan B, that God is somehow scrambling up in heaven trying to figure out what to do with me. What you've done, it might have shocked you, but God saw it, and he's got a course for your life. He's not scrambling and having an emergency section of all of heaven to figure out what to do with you. He's got a plan, a plan to bless you and not curse you. Here's another reason why the immutability of God matters in this day, because people will say that you cannot trust the Bible, that what was written millennia ago can never apply to where we are now. There's this span of time there's differences in culture. There's so much more knowledge and scientific knowledge that we have now that just makes the Bible a bit obsolete, a bit outdated, a bit less than. Theologian J.I. Packer, one of my favorite theologians, wrote one of my favorite books, and he entitled it Knowing God, and he picks a characteristic of God and writes a short chapter about it, and one of his chapters is about God does not change, the immutability of God. And here's a quote from that chapter, and I think there's a slide for it. It is true, he says, that in terms of space, time, and culture, the biblical authors and the historic effort to which they belong are a long way from us, but the link between them and us is not found at that level. The link is God. For the same God that they had to do is the same God with whom we have to do. In fact, it's exactly the same God. God does not change in the least. Now, here's what Packer is telling you and me. If God doesn't change, then what the Bible says about him in Genesis is still true today. If what God said about right and wrong in Genesis, in Exodus, in Leviticus, all the way through Revelation, if God said it, it does not change. Because the author does not change. So God is eternal. He doesn't change. He knows the past, the present, and the future. And to be honest, it strips away everything from us, doesn't it? I mean, because you can't fool him. He knows you better than you know yourself. You can make all kinds of promises, like Peter did before Jesus in the upper room. I don't know about the rest of these guys, but you can count on me. And Jesus said, tomorrow morning, Pete, before the rooster crows, you're going to strike out three times. You're going to die me three times. If God knows all that, how can he love me? 
That's it, isn't it? How can I know his love for me is unchanging? Well, the story is told of a lumberjack. He's going to cut down a grove of trees. He's going to cut them all down. And as he's surveying this meadow where these trees were, he notices a mother bird starting to build a nest. So he takes his axe and he turns it on its side and he starts just banging the trunk of that tree with the side of his axe to rattle that bird. And so that mother bird, I mean, I can't imagine what went through her head, but she looks down at that guy and she thinks, what is his problem? I mean, is he just doing this to torture me? So she flies off to another tree and she starts building a nest there. And the lumberjack sees it and he takes the side of his head of his axe and he starts banging that tree. And now she thinks this lumberjack must really have a vendetta against her. And then she flies off to a rocky ledge and there she builds her nest. And the lumberjack sees finally she's in a safe place. And he lets her be. Every tree in this life is coming down. Every institution, every family, every career, every fortune, everything. It's not going to last. The only thing that you, my friends, can build your life on that is eternal is God. And to build your life upon him, you have to trust him. In Psalm 102, the writer says, the stars will wear out, the mountains will fall, but God remains the same. And then in verse 28, he says, the children of your servants shall dwell secure, shall dwell secure, and their offspring shall be established before you. There's one relationship that you can have that will not let you down, that will not fade away, that will not end. It's established, it's secure, it's permanent. Time can't take it away, time can't change it. It is built upon a rock. God is permanently committed to you. He's not permanently committed to the mountains and the stars. He's committed to you. And upon you he has placed his everlasting love. And you say, okay, but this whole God knows everything. He knows me. I don't love myself sometimes. How can God love me? Well, the answer is found in Christ. The proof of God's unfailing love is found in him. Jesus who was unchanging, became human. He who was immortal took on flesh and bone and became mortal. Why? So that God can remain unchanging. What do I mean by that? Well, God, Scripture says, is a thrice holy God. He is holy, holy, holy. God also says that he is a God of love. So how can he be holy and not punish me 
which means death for what I've done. That's not going to work. But how can he love me and say, ah, a boy, sweep everything under the rug, don't worry about that. It would violate his justice and his holiness. On Calvary, on the cross, God's holiness and justice and his love came crashing together in the person of Jesus Christ. John 3.16, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he says, so God so loved the world that he gave his only son, you know it, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Because of Jesus, even though you fail and I fail God, he never fails us. Even though we might fail sometimes in our commitment to him, he is fully committed to us. He will love you when the world comes to an end. He will love you when the mountains fall and the stars fade. Dr. Brian Chappell is president emeritus of Covenant Cemetery. Seminary. Sometimes they are confusing. And he tells the story of two brothers that grew up in his hometown, a true story. He said when the brothers were young, they were playing in an area that was very dangerous. They shouldn't have been there. They were playing on some sand mounds that were along the river banks. And they ran up to the top of one tall sand mound and it began to sink. And as they sank, the bottom of the sand mound was way over their heads. That night, they failed to come home. No one knew where they were. Everyone was searching for them. Police, neighbors, parents, they were all out looking for these two brothers. They came to this place on the river where they were playing, and they saw one of the boys. He was half buried in the sand, up to his shoulders. The only thing that was visible was the top of his shoulders to the top of his head, and he was alive, but he was unconscious. The rescuers ran up to him and were furiously digging him out. And as they were freeing him, he revived. And the rescuers asked, where's your brother? Where's your brother? And the boy replied, I'm standing on his shoulders. The foundation of that kid's life was the sacrifice of his brother, the reason he could stand, the reason that he was alive was the sacrificial death of his brother. Jesus' sacrificial death is the foundation for your life and for my life. It is why that great hymn says, his oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the overwhelming flood when all around me gives way, when all around me fails and gives way, he is then my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. 
How can I know I can trust God? I can't trust how smart I am. I can't trust the things of this world. One day, it's all going to be gone. My life, my job, my family, my marriage, my wealth, my life on this earth, all gone. The only thing that you and I can trust, the only thing that you and I can build our lives on that will last, it's Christ. You can trust him. You can cling to the cross. You can stand on Calvary. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Will you join me standing? And let's have just a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. Great, great is your faithfulness, Lord God, unto me. In Jesus' name, amen.